Genesis chapter 43, we're going to read verse 13 down to verse 17. Take also your brother, and arise and go again unto the man. And God Almighty give you mercy before the man, that he may send away your other brother, and Benjamin, if I am bereaved, I am bereaved. And the men took that present, and they took double money in their hand, and Benjamin, and rose up and went down to Egypt, and stood before Joseph. And when Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the ruler of his house, Bring these men home, and slay, and make ready, for these men shall dine with me at noon. And the man did, as Joseph bade, and this man brought the men into Joseph's house. Now that there really is a summary of the whole uh, event that takes place really from verse 13 right down to verse 34. So what you have, what we read there was basically a summary. And now as we read on down, uh, that will basically expand that section uh, a bit uh, further and more detail. And so with God's word open before us, we'll seek the Lord for help and prayer. And then we'll bring this message, the first two points on Joseph's steward and Joseph's sovereignty. Our Heavenly Father and Eternal God, we thank Thee for the reading of Thy Word. We rejoice, O God, for the public proclamation of the preaching of Christ, the reading of His Word. We thank Thee, O God, that there's a band of people who can gather together to hear the Word of God. We pray, Lord, Thou wilt bless us. We pray, Lord, Thou wilt give us help. And we pray, O God, as Thy Word goes forth, may it have free course and be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The time had now come for Israel to send his sons to meet the sovereign ruler of Egypt. We've noted in the last number of weeks that having prepared his sons to present various items of worth, of value and honour, to present to the sovereign, now Israel obeys the sovereign's command in sending Benjamin, his son, with the other brothers. All the other tokens of honour and reverence would only be accepted by the sovereign if the brothers came by Benjamin. Without Benjamin, there was refusal and death by the famine. But with Benjamin, there was acceptance and life was saved from death by the famine. Just before the sons leave home to take their journey, Israel doesn't know if they will return just as Joseph didn't and as Simeon didn't return. And for that reason, he says, if I am bereaved, I am bereaved. And then he leads his children into prayer. He prays to God Almighty. And we learned last week, didn't we? That name is the reference to El Shaddai, the God all-sufficient, the God Almighty. God with nothing is impossible with Israel prays for his children that they will find mercy, favor, kindness before the man who is the sovereign of Egypt, acceptance with him and find provision by him and be saved from death uh, with this famine that is throughout all the lands. But also that his two sons, Benjamin and Simeon, will be spared, that they will return home safely and as Israel prays these words. He's coming before God in prayer. Lord, thou saidest. 
And he prays based on that covenant given to him in Genesis chapter 32 and chapter 35. Now there's many wonderful things we can say about that and we did last week. But for now let me just summarize and say this. Dear father and dear parent, follow Israel's godly example. Now when your children leave home to take their journey, whether to school, whether to work, uh, whether, to, whether for any other reason, pray for them. Bring God's promises before him. Commit them into the hands of God Almighty, God El Shaddai, the all-sufficient one, the one who's able to give them mercy, favor through Christ. Pray the Lord will save their soul. Pray the Lord will bless them. Pray the Lord will keep them. And as they leave the house that morning, pray that God will bring them back uh, to you safely. And that is a prayer to pray for your children. Pray for their protection. Pray that God's hand will be upon them and they will find mercy with him uh, throughout the day. As we come now to the occasion that is before us, all that now has passed and the brothers now have left the home and they now come into Egypt where they're about to come before Joseph. And for that reason, in the next number of weeks, and from today, we want to look at Joseph's steward, his sovereignty, his sympathy, and then his seating. And we'll look next time at Joseph's sympathy and his seating. And there's a wonderful lesson in both of these passages. That's why we're splitting it into two. Of course, I have a bad habit of doing that anyway. Uh, but we'll look at the first two today. Joseph's steward and Joseph's sovereignty. Notice, first of all, Joseph's steward. It's interesting to note in verse 16 that when the brothers arrive in Egypt, Joseph commands the ruler of his house, also named in verse 19 as the steward of Joseph's house. So this man is the ruler and he's also the steward. And we'll also visit this man in the next chapter as well when we come to the silver cup that is a wonderful lesson in itself. But the command from Joseph to his steward is this, bring these men home and slay and make ready for these men shall dine with me at noon. And that's exactly what the steward does. In verse 17, the man did as Joseph bade, meaning he did what Joseph asked him to do. The man brought the men into Joseph's house. He fulfills the command of Joseph to lead these men Joseph to Joseph, to meet with Joseph, to dine with Joseph, to partake of the good things provided by Joseph. It's interesting to note that the steward's presence in meeting the brothers causes them to be anxious. Notice verse 18. And the men were afraid because they were brought into Joseph's house. This steward is leading them to Joseph's house, to the sovereign's house. Now, remember, for our purposes in the story, we know it's Joseph's house. We know the sovereign ruler of Egypt is Joseph. But that's why we have to put ourselves now into the Bible itself, uh, into Joseph's brother's feet. They don't realize they're coming before Joseph. 
to them, they're coming to the sovereign Lord of Egypt, to the ruler of Egypt. And this man has now come to lead them closer to the sovereign, to lead them to the sovereign's house. And they begin to be afraid. The word afraid means to be terrified, to be filled with dread, to be anxious. It's actually the same word used in Genesis chapter 42, verse 35. And that is because the same fear, the same anxiousness refers to the same situation. That refers to the money that was given in their sacks. Remember that Joseph uh, gave the command that the money was to be filled in their sacks. And then they went to this particular inn. They found all this money and they began to be afraid. Well, now they've returned. They brought that money as their dad told them. They brought extra money. But now this man comes to bring them to the sovereign's house and they begin to fear. They begin to panic. Fear takes over them. And they said, verse 18, because of the money that was returned in our sacks the first time, we are brought in to seek occasion against us and fall upon us, and take us for bondmen and our asses. In their mind, they suggest that this man, this steward, is leading them to the sovereign's house, that they will be accused and sentenced for theft, that they will now become slaves. Now, remember, at this stage, and this is interesting, the steward who is leading them to the house uh, we learn verse 19, he remains silent. He doesn't say anything to them. And that's amazing. He has not spoken any word to them at this stage. Rather, he comes to them. And then he begins to lead them back to the sovereign's house. Because his purpose is to obey Joseph. His point is to lead them to another person, namely Joseph the sovereign of the land. But his free presence, his free appearance, the fact that he is leading them to the sovereign causes them to enter into conversation one with another. And they begin to talk about all that has happened just as it was previously whenever Joseph put them in prison. He didn't say anything about the past. He just put them in prison and then they began to speak about the past. And so the same thing here. Joseph sends his steward, bring these men, bring them to my house. And that's all he does. He goes and he gets the men and he begins to lead them to the house. But they begin to go into conversation. Fear overtakes them. And in verses 20 to 22, they relate everything that takes place to this steward, they begin to tell him about the money that was found in their sacks and all these different things. They're in despair, turmoil, turmoil, anxious, troubled, afraid of being falsely accused and how the sovereign Lord of Egypt will treat them and few them. Because remember, he has all power given to him by Pharaoh to rule, to cast them into prison and to make them his servants all the days of their life, if he pleases. Remember, Israel's prayer is that my sons will return home. 
Well, this man has all power to make sure that doesn't happen. He can keep them in Egypt for all their days, if he so wishes. Now, overall, we know that God is using this situation and this scene, as we will know closer next uh, time in Genesis chapter 44, when Joseph finally reveals himself to his brethren. But God is using this situation as he has done in previous situations. And he continues to do, even in the chapter 44, to teach these brethren, these brothers, that they are guilty concerning their brother Joseph. And they must acknowledge their wrongdoing. Joseph gave them God's word. They despised. They rejected him. They sold him. They betrayed him. And so that's the whole point. It's for them to realize, for them to to click in our sin against Joseph in response to their fear and their terror. The steward then speaks his first words. Remember, he's just come. He's met them. And now he's leading them to the sovereign. He's leading them to Joseph, just as Joseph has asked him to do. He doesn't take them anywhere else. He brings them to the sovereign and to the sovereign's house. But they're fearful. His presence stirs them where he's leading them, begins to cause them to be anxious. And then he says in verse 22, Peace be to you, fear not. Your God and the God of your father have given you treasure in your sacks. I had your money and he brought Simeon out on to them. Now, do you see that there? The first word the steward speaks to them is of peace. Joseph didn't leave his brothers comfortless. Rather, he sent another until he came home, until he comes, until he returns And that was this steward. The word peace is the word shalom. And to the Jew, the word shalom was a greeting, a farewell, an expression, meaning to keep well, to make well. It meant soundness, which was another term for good health and prosperity. And that's backed up by the following words. Peace be to you, fear not. Shalom. Don't be afeared. Shalom. All is well. It's also used when when Joseph asked his brothers in verse 27. He asked them of their welfare or their well-being. He asked them of their shalom. Again, he said, is your father well? Is your father shalom? Is it well with your father? They answered in verse 28, Our Father is in good health. He is in shalom. It's well with our Father. But at present, it was not well with the brothers. It was not shalom with them because they were afraid. They were anxious. They were terrified. But the steward was sent by the sovereign in his place to speak words of shalom on the basis of the sovereign's plan. Genesis 42 verse 25, Joseph commanded to fill their sacks with corn and restore every man's money into his sack and to give them provision for the way. And thus he did. And so the words of Shalom, they are spoken by the steward based 
on Joseph's sovereign command to provide for his brothers in giving them this abundance. Joseph commanded, fill the sacks. And the sacks were filled. But now they're terrified because they don't know how this money got there. And now they return to Egypt. The steward meets them and he begins to lead them to the sovereign's house. And they begin to fear. They're anxious. They're terrified. We're going to be accused of stealing this money. We're going to become servants, bondmen to the man of Egypt. Shalom, shalom. This money was given to you. Shalom, shalom, it's well. The money in your sacks was put there on purpose. It was put there by the sovereign. And so that's the human story. That's the what's taking place in the scene. Because remember, Joseph is still fulfilling a purpose by his father that goes back to Genesis 37. Seek the well-being of your brothers. Seek their shalom. Seek their prosperity. Is it well with them? And so Joseph is doing everything to bless, provide for his brothers. And again, we will see in chapter 44, 45, when Joseph reveals himself and he makes that great statement to them, fear not, I am Joseph, your brother. And he begins to say, God has allowed all this to happen. To save you. It was all to save you. But the steward lifts the scene to higher ground. And he says to them, Your God and the God of your father have given you treasure in your sacks. This money was given on purpose. It was given there on purpose by the goodness and mercy of God. And then he brought Simeon out onto them. Now, at this point, the brothers should have caught on to something. There's something different about this Egyptian steward. He's using language, phraseology, known to the Hebrews. He's going out of his way to bring uh, comfort to these troubled men. Shalom. He speaks your God and the God of your father. And so these brothers should have been thinking along the lines, someone knows more information about us than we have realized. What if they know something about Joseph? But the thing was, they didn't expect to see Joseph, the brother who they betrayed, the brother who they sold as a slave into Egypt. Whenever they spoke of Joseph from Genesis chapter 37 onwards, they spoke of him as the one and one who is not. To them, Joseph was dead. So they weren't expecting ever to meet this man, their brother, again. To the brothers, Joseph is dead. But we know, obviously, as I said, we know the whole story. Joseph is alive. Verse 24, the steward leads the men to Joseph's house, the sovereign's house, for cleansing by water to wash their feet. Remember, they had traveled from Canaan into Egypt. Their feet would have been dusty and dirty. And they could not enter into the sovereign's presence unclean and unwashed. But to enter into his presence, to dine with him, because remember, the whole point is, Joseph, as we'll learn next time, he's made this feast for them. And he will dine with them. He will sup with them. But they must 
be clean, to enter into his presence. And so the steward prepares them to meet the sovereign. And we see this, don't we, with Joseph himself in Genesis chapter 41. Remember, we looked at that account whenever Joseph was released from from the Egyptian prison. And before he stood in Pharaoh's presence, he must shave and he must change his clothes. And so what a picture there is to the greater Joseph, the sovereign Lord of Egypt, and his steward to the Lord Jesus Christ, and the sovereign Lord of all lands, and the Holy Spirit who prepares sinners to meet the sovereign Lord. The Lord Jesus taught himself in John chapter 13 by using the object lesson of foot washing. Well, in the context of serving one another, how Christ came to serve sinners by giving his life a ransom. But he said to them, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Remember, he washed the disciples' feet. Their feet were dusty and dirty, having traveled. But then he came to Peter to wash Peter's feet. And Peter said, No, Lord, not my feet. And the Lord said, Peter, if I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. And that word part is the word meaning fellowship, communion. If I don't wash thee, then we have no fellowship with one another because you must be cleansed to fellowship with me. And the Lord was showing that in order to enter into his presence, in order to serve him, to fellowship with him, there must be that cleansing from sin. When Joseph sent his steward to to his brothers, these men, to lead them back to him. So we have the picture of the Lord Jesus Christ sends out the Holy Spirit to fulfill his word, to seek sinners that he has been sent to gather. And by his presence, he troubles them while they remain in their filthiness, in their uncleanness. And by the water of the word, he prepares them to meet Christ for fellowship with him. You see, the Holy Spirit speaks to both saint and sinner by the word of Christ. He doesn't testify of himself. He always testifies of of the Savior. He brings a word of comfort to the troubled one as he leads them to Christ for pardon and to the believer for sanctification. Remember the Lord Jesus taught in John chapter 14, verse 18, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. The Holy Spirit is called in John chapter 14, verse 16, another comforter. And the words another comforter underline the possession of the Holy Spirit that he would occupy in this world until Christ returns. He was sent and has come to act on Christ's behalf. And that's why we always make the point scripturally that the Pope of Rome is not the vicar of Christ. That is a blasphemous term he claims to take because the word vicar means to be in the place of. The Holy Spirit has come in the place of Christ. And therefore, he is that one of another comforter. The word another means another of the same kind. And so the Holy Spirit operates 
in the lives of saints and sinners in this world as Christ did when he was on earth. He comes and brings the word. He comes to do the will of the Lord. He testifies of Christ and he leads men and women to Christ. Those troubled and anxious by their sin, the Holy Spirit comes and draws them to the Savior. Again, John 15, verse 26. But when the Comforter, that is the Holy Spirit, has come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. He shall bear witness of me. So there is a double picture in this passage. Joseph sent his steward to bring his brothers to him and to meet, and for Joseph to meet them. Joseph sent his steward to prepare his brothers to meet him. And also Joseph sent his steward to bring his brothers to him until he returned to them, to meet with them and to feast with them. And so in the typology, the Holy Spirit brings sinners to Christ, to him, to meet with him, to prepare them, and provide for them. The Holy Spirit will bring sinners to Christ and continues to do so until Christ returns to gather his people and fellowship with them. And so Joseph sent out his steward to his brethren to draw them to himself where he would meet with them. And that's the work of the Spirit of God he is sent out to draw both sinner and both saint to the Savior, to lead them back to him for fellowship and to dine with them. That is why we always make the point, the Holy Spirit will never cause you to do anything contrary to God's precious word. The Holy Spirit will never do anything to lead you away from Christ I don't understand believers today who will say the Holy Spirit told me not to go to church today but to stay at home. That is blasphemy because the Holy Spirit will never lead you away from Christ. The Holy Spirit will always lead you to the Savior, to worship the Lord. And so the whole point in this whole passage, and we will see it again in chapter 44, everything the Stuart does It's by the command of Joseph and everything he does. It's to bring the men always back to Joseph. You read again, and this is where we're getting exciting again. I have to not, but in the next number of weeks, even when Joseph, when Joseph permits the silver cup to be given to the brethren and the brethren leave the house, Joseph says to the steward, go after them and bring them back to me. And that's exactly what the steward does. He goes after them and he brings them back. And actually what he does as well, he also stops them and points out that one of you have the silver cup. And they all begin to say, there's none of us here have stolen anything. And the whole point was to show that Joseph's servant showed that one of them had the silver cup in their sack. And that's what the Spirit of God does. 
He ministers in the heart. He brings that conviction of sin, but he always leads to the Savior. He will always do that which is in agreement to the Word of God. And so be very, very careful how you use the name or the ministry of the Holy Spirit, God willing, in our Bible study. We will be studying on Wednesday nights, some point soon, uh, the person work of the Holy Spirit. And we will see that. The Holy Spirit will never lead you contrary to the word of God. But notice secondly, and very, very briefly, Joseph's sovereignty. The time had come for Joseph to meet the men, to dine with them. The steward that he sent out to bring these men back to dine with me, he does that. Verse 26, when Joseph came home, he now returns and they brought him the present which was in their hand in the house. Now, if you remember, I had suggested or made suggestion that this present was separate from the other items such as the honey and the spices. And this present that was presented to Joseph was one that was presented to someone in high honor uh, to show that they were coming before the sovereign. It just wasn't anything. It was something to show of great worth, of great value. We stand in the presence of the king of Egypt. And so they come. And what they do, whenever they came into his presence, notice they bowed down before him, which we'll look at in a wee minute. They acknowledged their, by their present and their posture, all bowing in his presence, that they stood in the presence of royalty. They stood in the presence of the sovereign ruler of Egypt. They were acknowledging that the one who they bowed to had all power and all dominion over them. Now again, we have to keep stressing it. The brothers don't know the one whom they are bowing down to is Joseph. We, we said that last time, remember, that Joseph has not yet revealed himself to his brothers. And he will do when we get to chapter 44 and chapter 45. But he had not yet at this stage. And we said before, if he had have done, they would have despised and rejected him again. And so he still has not revealed himself yet unto them. But they come. We know they're coming before Joseph. But they're coming as in their mind, to the sovereign Lord of Egypt. And they bow before him. They begin to behave themselves. They honor the one with authority. They acknowledge, they respect the one they're coming to, has position, has honor, has value, has worth. The one who is able to save us in this famine. The one who has said, except you come by Benjamin, you will not see my face. And so they take his words seriously. They realize we must obey these words. Not as seen by the fact that they bow down before him. And know it's interesting. They only lift their heads to answer his questions. Notice verse 28. So they bow, they're bowing before him. As we learned in previous verses, they bowed their head down to the earth. And... Joseph then asked them, the sovereign asked them about their father. They answered, thy servant, our father, is in good health. He is alive. So they've answered the question, what happens immediately? And they bowed their heads down and made obedience. So 
They come in this presence, they bow down and they stay bow down in that humble position, coming before the sovereign. How's your father? Our father's well. And they bow down again. So I'm trying to paraphrase that to get you uh, the, the, the situation so you have it in your mind. That word, I, I can never get it, pronounce it right anyway, obeisance, uh, if that's what it is, simply means to bow down. Another term meaning to bow down. And once again, and this is, this is where it gets exciting here, this is where we learn how truthful and how alive the Bible is. Unknown to the brothers and unaware to the brothers, they are fulfilling Scripture. Remember Genesis chapter 37, when Joseph had this dream, it was a message from God that the brothers would bow before him. And you read, take time, Genesis 37 verses 7 through 8, that Joseph makes the point that he will rule over his brethren. And they know the terminology that he uses. Uh, again, well, I'll just read it here. For behold, we were bound these sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf arose and stood upright, and your sheaves stood round about and made obeisance to my sheaf. And the brethren said, Shalt thou reign over us? Shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And then they despised and rejected him. They sold him. They betrayed him. In other words, you're not going to rule over us. They rejected his word. They wouldn't bow down to him. So Joseph used language. Of course, we learn that by envy, uh, they hated Joseph and they rejected him. Yet, this is one of many times This is one of many times that they bow before him. And you know what? It will not be the last time uh, they would bow before him. And that is interesting. And that is a a wonderful uh, truth. They are fulfilling scripture and they would uh, bow before him. And so we learn that in fulfilling scripture, they bowed uh, before Joseph Uh, unaware and as I said let me just say this is just one of many times that they bow down remember the first time they came to Joseph they bowed down they're bowing down here and then we learn in other chapters when we come to 44 45 they bow again so these men who said in 37 that they wouldn't they refused these words are now actually bowing before the man who they said they wouldn't but again we know it's Joseph To them, it's just the sovereign of the land. But here's the lesson coming to the end. Do you realize, men and women, well, they didn't realize that it was bound before Joseph. But do you realize, men and women, whether you're a believer or unbeliever, that every day you live in the presence of Christ the King, who is immortable, invisible, only wise. Do you realize, believer, when you have your devotions at home, when you're reading the word of God, when you're praying, when you've entered in, you have entered into his heavenly presence, you've come before his royal throne. Do you realize that when we gather in this house to meet with the king, he comes to meet with us? Now, let me give you three simple thoughts here in closing. Do you realize that the sovereign Lord, he is our creator? And therefore, our times are in his hands. That should cause us to bow in humility before him. Because do you realize this? 
we live because he chooses to keep us alive. Let me tell you this here. You can eat all the healthy food you want and you should do. And you should do bodily exercise and you should do. Go out for a nice stroll, go out for a nice walk, whatever that may be. And you should do. Keep yourself fit and healthy. But let me tell you this here. Just because you do that does not guarantee you another day in this earth. And you ought to realize this. Every uh, You are alive today because the sovereign one chooses to keep you alive. Every breath you take is because he gives you it. Every heartbeat you have is because he permits it. That should cause us to bow before him in humility. And yet many take the goodness of God for granted and they refuse to bow. He is the only redeemer of his elect. And that should cause us to bow in humble adoration that God sent his only son into this world to die and to take away our sin. He chose to save me, a hell guilty deserving sinner, to save a wretch like me when he could have left me in my sin. He could have allowed me to face the wrath that I deserve. But yet in mercy, he saved me. That should cause us to bow and say, Lord, thank you. And yet many take the grace of God for granted and they don't bow. He is the judge of the world. And that should cause us to bow before him, to note that he has judged us believer in Christ and therefore we will never be in hell. And that should cause us to bow. But yet many take the mercy of God for granted and don't bow. He is the exalted Lord. And notice the terminology different. He is the exalted Lord and that will cause all to bow. And confess that he is Lord. All will see him as the highly exalted king of kings. And Lord of lords. At that time believer. Our praise and our worship will continue with him for all eternity. But at that time unbeliever. Your punishment and your wailing. Will only have just begun. For all eternity. Joseph's brothers. Refused his message. We will not bow to him. Will you rule over us? And yet here we have in this passage. That's exactly what they are doing. They did it in previous chapters. And they'll do it again in chapter 44 and 45. And then Joseph will reveal himself. I am Joseph. And then they will realize all this time. They were bowing to the one whom they said they never will. And you may say that saviour. That Christ I will not bow down to. But I tell you, you will. You will. And best to bow now and own him and worship him as your saviour, your Lord. Than to bow before him to be judged, to be sentenced into eternal hell. And therefore here we have today, as Israel sends his sons to meet the sovereign ruler. We've learned of Joseph's steward and we've learned of Joseph's sovereignty. Next time we will look at Joseph's sympathy 
and we will look at Joseph's seating. Because everything that Joseph does as the ruler has a particular purpose and fold to reveal to the brothers that they have sinned against him. But God is a wonderful God who forgives sin. And therefore, men and women, want you to learn that today. You've sinned against him, but he's a wonderful saviour, gracious saviour, who will forgive your sin and pardon you from all iniquity. Are you troubled, anxious? Is the Spirit of God working upon your heart, drawing you to the Savior today? Oh, I pray that you'll come and ask the Lord Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sin and to save your soul. In his name we pray. Amen.